Hi everyone, and welcome back to Cold Girls. I received a lot of messages from listeners about making the podcast available on other platforms besides iTunes, so I just want to let everyone know, before we begin today, that Cold Girls is on Spotify, and I've linked it below in the show notes. We are working to make the podcast available to all listeners on multiple platforms. Now that that's out of the way, let's get into this week's case, The Disappearance of Nicole Moran. On July 30th, 1985, 34 years ago, 8-year-old Nicole Moran left her apartment in the West Mall in Etobicoke in Toronto, Ontario to meet a friend to go swimming at 11 a.m. This summer was particularly hot and Nicole had frequented her apartment swimming pool. Nicole left her apartment after finishing eating and was seen walking from her apartment door to go to the elevators. 15 minutes later, Nicole's friend buzzed the apartment and told Nicole's mother, Jeanette, that Nicole hadn't shown up. Jeanette assumed the girls had just missed each other, and that Nicole may have already been down at the pool playing with other children. Jeanette was running a daycare from the apartment, and so she could not leave the small children that she cared for alone to go check for her daughter. Hours later, Nicole never came back, and Jeanette called the police. Nicole Moran's disappearance was one of the largest in Toronto police history at the time. The search was huge. The entire apartment building was scoured and each room was searched. If people weren't home, their doors were kicked down and their apartment was searched. Police placed roadblocks and used a PA system on their cars to inform the community of the search. This type of immediate search is what should happen in a missing child case, but it often does not. Police also went around giving descriptions of Nicole to members of the community, but Nicole was not found that day and the search continued overnight. Cal Miller is a retired crime journalist for the Toronto Star, and he described how when he went to the Moran apartment the next day, he found Jeanette and her estranged husband, Art, sitting inside completely devastated. Cal Miller was also a member of Crime Stoppers. Crime Stoppers is an organization that takes anonymous tips from people about cases, and he said that Moran's case was one of the first big cases that the Toronto Crime Stoppers were involved in. Within the week of her disappearance, Crime Stoppers had posted a $1,000 reward and made a possible reenactment video of the disappearance using Jen, Nicole's friend that she was supposed to meet that day, to play Nicole. The $1,000 reward was later bumped up to $100,000, and that reward remains today. Nicole was described as a bright, happy young girl who loved McDonald's and is remembered by her friends as a light. Unfortunately, however, The investigation stretched into years, and Jeanette Moran ended up dying. There was something odd about Nicole's disappearance that had been mentioned before, and this was that, in her diary, she had an entry stating, I'm going to disappear. Later on in the episode, I'll discuss some theories, and my own personal theory surrounding this in greater detail. There have been numerous tips coming in about her case, and even today the tips are still coming. Police have also released an age-progressed photo, in case Nicole is still alive, which is something many believe, including her father, Art. 
The age-progressed photos also serve in case Nicole is alive and has forgotten who she is. Tips led police to conduct two searches in Ontario, one in Barrie and the other in the Springwater Township, but none of them were substantiated. I listened to the Dark Poutine podcast and their episode on Nicole's case, which I highly recommend and I have linked in the show notes. They had a listener on from Barrie, Ontario, who claims that she heard a young girl screaming one night and she believed that this was Nicole, and when the tip was followed through, it never panned out. Nicole Moran's disappearance was not a standalone event in the mid-80s in Toronto. According to one article, there was a large number of child abductions and murders during this time, and also religious cults. It has been hypothesized that Nicole's case is also connected to some other cases that are unresolved. The first is the murder of Christine Jessup in 1984 in Queensville, a small town in Ontario. If you have heard of this case, you may know that Guy Paul Moran, who has no relation to Nicole Moran, was wrongly convicted for the case, and her murderer has never been found. There was also the case of Alison Perot in 1986, a young girl also from Toronto who received a mysterious phone call at home asking if she would like to take pictures for her sports team. With the permission of her mother, Alison went to meet the supposed photographer at Varsity Stadium at the University of Toronto, and her remains were later found in King Mill Park. Her killer was later caught. The final one is Sharon Morningstar Keenan, in 1983, who was abducted from a park and found in a refrigerator on Brunswick Avenue in Toronto. The man wanted for her murder is Dennis Howe, and he has been on the run in Canada since. He is also considered a possible suspect by some in Nicole's case, but I couldn't find anything reported that he was officially named a suspect by police. In terms of suspects in Nicole's case, none have been officially named. One man who goes by the name Lovey, Interstate Man Riddle, confessed to kidnapping Nicole from Canada and bringing her to Texas. However, this was not substantiated, and he may have tried to insert himself in the case, as sometimes criminals in jail will confess to a high-profile case to gain notoriety. On an online forum in 2011, someone speculated that these Dennis Howe and Lovey Riddle individuals were the same. Dennis was also known for going by multiple aliases, but I am unsure how this would work if the supposed Lovey Riddle was in prison. Those two individuals are the names that come up the most when discussing suspects. Returning to the Dark Poutine episode, there was also supposedly a woman who was walking around the apartment the day Nicole went missing with a clipboard, and she seemed suspicious to some. However, this is only a speculation, and nothing has been confirmed. Some believe that Nicole's disappearance was a crime of opportunity, and that it took place in the elevator. This is because if Nicole had screamed in the hall, someone would have heard her, but the elevator is a different story. It is important to note that in the building that she went missing from, the elevators could go directly to the parking garage, which means someone could have grabbed Nicole in the elevator and put her into a car and drove off almost instantaneously, possibly out of the city. I found a Reddit thread on this case, and one user states that they grew up in the same building Nicole disappeared from, and that this building was attached to another building by a connecting door and had several back entrances. So it was possible that someone from a completely different building took Nicole. Only her building is reported to have been thoroughly searched in the hours after the disappearance, 
so it is possible that she was held in a separate building. Some also believe that Nicole was being stalked and perhaps befriended by someone who she saw in the hall, which is why no one heard a scream if she knew who it was. I bring up this theory because from what I could find, there is no report of Nicole actually getting on the elevator. It's only reported that she was seen walking to the elevators. So someone could have known about her plans, someone who may have befriended her, or they may have overheard Nicole and Jen talking and then went to go meet Nicole. This person could have told Nicole that they had to grab something from their apartment and asked her to go with them or even from their car. Some argue that Nicole wasn't killed in any of the apartments because a search was done, but I believe police just searched the apartments and didn't DNA test anyone in particular. We also have to remember that this was the 80s and DNA testing was not the way that it is today. Perhaps if we knew whether or not any apartment was of interest, we could determine or get more information on whether or not the apartment was DNA tested. And even if it was DNA tested later on, some of Nicole's DNA may have wiped off, say if it was on a couch or in the sunlight. Some also believe whoever took her was a visitor to the building or the area. One thing I would be interested to know is, did the elevators in the building have security cameras or the hallways or even the outside of the building? This could have confirmed whether Nicole got onto the elevator or not, or whether she was seen leaving the building with somebody. A Google search of Nicole Moran security cameras didn't bring up anything. Next, I want to talk about the diary entry that was found written by Nicole, which stated, I'm going to disappear. This could be one of two things. First, the entry could simply be nothing, as kids do and say things that don't make sense. In the Dark Poutine podcast, they allude to it possibly being that Nicole was talking about a game of hide-and-seek with a friend. Another darker theory could be as follows. Perhaps someone had befriended Nicole with a darker intention and had told her that she was going to disappear, and maybe her diary entry alluded to that. No other contents of the diary were released, either because the diary wasn't searched or the other entries weren't important. When I was trying to think about my own theory for this case, it was hard. It seems as if Nicole literally vanished into thin air. There was no towel or anything left behind. Many people seem to believe that Nicole is still alive and possibly unaware of who she is. In my opinion, I don't know. And quite frankly, for this episode, I don't have a solid theory on this case. But here is what I do think. I think it is possible that Nicole was taken into an apartment that day because it's quite easy to pull someone into an apartment than a car. I also lean towards Nicole going with someone she knew or had come to know because it is a lot easier and less suspicious to leave an apartment building walking with a child than kidnapping one, especially in broad daylight. Also, nobody knew Nicole was missing for a good six hours, so this person had a head start to either walk away with Nicole or carry her out of the apartment. If you saw a person and a young child walking, you wouldn't think anything of it, especially if there was no cause for concern, which in this case was Nicole not yet being reported missing. This person could have also ushered her out one of the side entrances or into another building completely. I also think it's possible someone grabbed her from the elevator and into the parking garage. 
I think this theory is very possible, considering that there were absolutely no sightings of Nicole at all. If Nicole did walk out of the apartment building with someone, some people may not have remembered seeing her, because it was summer, and there probably were a lot of kids playing around the pool or around the apartment. The Nicole Moran case is one of Toronto's most infamous missing person cases, and it appears she really did vanish into thin air. I have linked in the show notes the dark poutine episode that I used for reference. Before we end today, I also want to bring attention to the nonprofit organization I mentioned last week, Private Investigations for the Missing. They are a nonprofit with the goal of trying to raise money for families of missing loved ones who cannot afford a private investigator to be able to afford one to look into their cases. I've linked their social media in the show notes as well. As always, if you enjoyed the show, please leave a rating in the iTunes store. Tune in again in two weeks for our final episode before we take a brief break. Thanks for listening.